Welcome to Roman Cola for the soul with your host Cindy Felcool, a lady who loves to share stories and likes to laugh at her own jokes. Hi guys, I have some really awesome guests today and before I get into sharing their story or actually letting them share their story, I just wanted to tell you a couple of things about how this all relates to what I've been talking about. If you listen to my first podcast, you're like, oh, you said you were all about reading the Bible like an English teacher. Well, there's two things that I am about with Rum and Cola for the Soul. And the first one is definitely reading the Bible like an English teacher. And the second thing that I'm about is people learning to value their voice and their stories. And I like to do that through encouraging people to share their stories. And as a matter of fact, that's really what Rum and Cola for the Soul developed from. The very first story that I have with why I came up with the name Roman Color for the Soul is actually way back when I was teaching. I was having a really bad day one day and I used to work with a lot of at-risk youth and sometimes, believe it or not, those kids could be really frustrating and so I was having one of those bad days and I was venting about it and somebody told me a story from Chicken Soup for the Soul about this teacher who just cared about her student and what she learned to care. Everything worked out really great. And I was like, oh, wow, caring. I never thought of that. And so it just irritated me so much that somebody shared this story with me. So I walked into the teacher's lounge and I sat down and I was sharing that story with all the people there. And they were like, oh, we hate that story so much. And so I was like, yeah, I can't stand those chicken soup for the soul stories. And so I just said, you know, someday I'm going to write stories and I'm going to share people's real stories about what it's really like and how you can struggle and you can care and you can have faith. And sometimes life is just still hard. And I'm just like... At the end of the day, we don't want chicken soup. We want some rum and cola because we're teachers and we had a hard day. And it kind of just developed from there as we were all sitting around laughing. I said, yeah, I'm going to start writing stories and I'm going to call it rum and cola for the soul. And my purpose was to share people's real stories about, you know, sometimes they did all the right things and things were still hard and things didn't always work out. So these are the real stories of life that sometimes it continues to be hard, even if you're doing the right thing. And it's not negative and venting and ranting and bitter, although those things (laughs) might be a part of it sometimes. It's really just about that life doesn't have to work out perfectly in order for it to be beautiful. There is beauty and joy and peace and hope and laughter in the middle of some of life's biggest messes. And I absolutely think that that is what today's interview represents. And I hope that you hear that as you hear this sometimes hard and really messy story that this couple is sharing today. I hope that you hear also how in the middle of these hard times that God was still at work and they still found beauty and laughter and strength to go on in the middle of these really hard times. So with that said, let's just jump right into listening to my interview with Nathan and Amanda. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing a young couple who was described to me as the model couple in a church I used to go to. And the funny thing about that description is the night before I had been on the phone with the wife in this couple and my husband had been on the phone with the husband in this couple and we were like... Remember, you guys love each other. I promise you can do this. You're going to get through it. 
And they were having a really, really bad argument. And we were counseling them through it. And it was just humorous to hear somebody describe them the next day as the model couple that everybody looked up to. So that's kind of what we're going to talk about today is the reality of what life had been like for them. And they they actually didn't want people to see them as this, you know, perfect couple that didn't have any problems. They do have a great relationship, but <laughs> it's had a lot of ups and downs in it too, like everybody in the world. So anyway, without further is it a do? Yeah, a do without further ado. <laughs> I would like to introduce you to my son, Nathan Falkel, and his wife, Amanda. His better half. Yes, <laughs> true that. And I'm going to be asking them some questions about the kind of rough year or two that they've had and let them share some stories about the struggles they've been through and how that strengthened their relationship and the challenges that they've had along the way. So first I wanted them to share, we said 10, and I don't know where we are right now, but a list of things that they love about each other, just so you know, (laughs) when we're sharing the negatives and that they have these huge fights, that they also really do love each other and have a good relationship. Yeah, there's honestly not enough paper in the world to fill up all the things I love about Amanda. Plenty of paper. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Don't put that in. That's it. It's right here. Like, this is it. Babe, you gotta go. Oh. All right. Ten things you love about Nathan. So, first off, number one, Nathan supports me a whole lot with whatever crazy idea I have next for my life. Like, I've been in school four times, dropped out three, and he's always been supportive of me, like, continuing my education or not, staying home or working. And he's always been consistent with letting me decide what's best for me. And I'm really fortunate that he feels that way. Also, number two, I love how he loves college students and sojourn in the ministries and and he's super passionate about it. I just really love how much he's always thinking about the college students and sojourn and and how much it's integrated into her own personal life, like the discussions at sojourn and all that. I love how much he loves our daughter. He continually like supports her and cherishes her and cares for her. And it's really important for girls to have like a stable father figure. Like I really wanted all my kids to have like a stable father. I probably shouldn't say that, huh? You can say okay. it's fine to want a stable father. <laughs> okay. <laughs> America's not going to, well, they might. They might hate me. I don't know. There are things that Nathan does with Kinsley that the way she loves him is different from the way she loves me. And, and I think it's good to have that dynamic. And he really shows her really well, all that stuff. I really like our inside jokes. And one of them is called boning. And it's not what you think. It's, um, we started it's off. It's totally what you think. <laughs> it started <laughs> off as, um, we started watching, um, Bones when we were, um, really poor. We would steal Cindy and Brian's Netflix and we would, uh, watch Bones. And so we called it boning and it was just like a little inside joke. So I just love how, like, we have these little jokes between us. Um, 
Also, he lets me steal his um, phone upgrades because I can't keep a phone for very long. I always break them, and he never complains. So. Not much, at least. <laughs> I'm thankful <laughs> for that. He just always, like, goes, and then, like, goes to the store and gets me a new one. So, it's great. Um, I love how smart he is, and he doesn't, like, make people feel intimidated by it. He's very humble and caring and all that. And <laughs> I love how compassionate he is to me, and... How whenever I'm having a really hard time, he'll, like, get me my favorite food or, like, go out and get me ice cream or, like, do something, like, special for me when I'm feeling pretty down, which is, which is often. So, and then I love his relationship with his parents and how well, like, when we first got married, I didn't feel, ever feel out of place, like, in their family. And so I love that relationship and I hope Kinsley can see it one day, see how special it is. I think maybe she'll just be used to it. <laughs> it's probably pretty amazing to be able to call your mother-in-law when you're having an argument. Yeah, being able, to, being able to say, your son's a piece of poop. <laughs> She's like, I know. You've never said poop. <laughs> Censorship. <laughs> okay, Nathan, your turn. Yeah, so the things that, that I love about Amanda are, this is one of the first things I noticed was just her heart and passion for caring for for people she was drawn early i guess in her college career just to just helping people throughout college and so she mentioned that i worked with the college ministry and and in that i was able to see her just how she cared for students that we were both going to classes with stuff like that and i remember telling telling mom that which uh, is one of the things that impressed me the most about her was just how she cared for people. And that's just been a continuing thing uh, throughout the six years we've been together, five years of marriage. A side it's, note, he wasn't working for Sojourn at the time. Like yes. He wasn't dating a student. That's true. Just to keep that clear. <laughs> that's good. Good info. Yeah, and, and actually that goes into number two, that she's super supportive of me as well and and my dreams and so when we were dating and when when we were first married i was planning on being a psychologist going to school for all of that and and it changed to, to working with college students and caring for them and, and building a community for them and it could have been totally easy for her to be like yeah that's not exactly what how i envisioned um my marriage with you being, but <laughs> she was super supportive just throughout of it. And actually really quick, funny story. I actually was willing to maybe not do it. And she said, no, nope, that's not acceptable. You should do it. You need to do it. And she really pushed me in that, which leads me to the next one that she knows how and when to push on me to get kind of the best out of me, which is really cool. I think it takes probably some stubbornness on her part, which Sometimes I enjoy, sometimes I enjoy it less than, than other times, but I really, really appreciate that. I'm right. Yeah, uh, most of the time you're right. <laughs> most of the time. She talked about me being a good father. I mean, I knew she was going to be a great mother like well before we had a daughter, and it's just really exciting to see her just love our daughter really well especially, and we'll get into this, I think, in a minute, just especially with some of the background she came from, not having a great family life is really cool to see just her love and cherish our daughter well. 
she loves Jesus a ton. It's been really cool to see that, her growing her faith and just loving Jesus and trying to extend that love to other people. She mentioned boning, which I love, 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 love <laughs> boning. Um, the TV shows, guys. Get your heads out of the gutter. The other thing, uh, our inside jokes, I agree with that. She's really smart. Love that. This is something that I have to give her tons of credit for. Before I proposed to her, she still said yes. I I told her that every Saturday during football season that I wanted to watch Florida State football. And that if she couldn't get on board with that, that like, I don't know, we were going to have to talk about our relationship. And I was mostly joking, but there's a lot of truth in there. And I was like, obviously, like, for big things like our wedding, like, I, I won't watch. Or, like, if somebody goes to the hospital or something like that. But for the most part, I really want to consistently watch football and, and that just be scheduled in. And and she still said yes, which is, which is amazing. And lastly, this might be one of the most underrated things that I don't say thank you enough for, but she makes coffee for me every morning. And honestly, I couldn't function throughout my day. I don't even know if I could make coffee. Sometimes she even brings it to bed and that's amazing that I'm like, I can just wake up with some coffee. So yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. (laughs) Aw, that's so sweet. So sweet. So now that we've gotten that gushiness out of the way, let's talk about I'm glad that's the, over. The last, <laughs> let's talk about some dart here. The, <laughs> tell me about. Let's just talk about the things that happened over the last couple of years that you guys have had some major struggles. So it was me. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. So after I had Kinsley, do we want to go that far back? Yeah. Okay. That's about where I started. <laughs> After I had Kinsley around her first birthday, I started with, like, some depression and anxiety. And, um, it, like, it didn't show up right after I had her, but it showed up later on. And what I was told is postpartum depression can show up within, like, the first two years of having a child. And so I think I was just stuffing it down the first year, like, just trying to get by, like, with the late nights and feedings and I was still in school and all that. So by her second, her first, sorry, her first birthday, um, I had more of a regular sleep schedule and I graduated and I was starting my first job, like my first real job. And I had some really bad like anxiety and depression and was taking it out on Nathan and I ended up getting help, which is a very good tool. No one should feel ashamed for it. I went to an outpatient program at um, one of the hospitals. They taught me like how to deal with my emotions a little bit better and all the baggage I had like up inside and how to express it, how to deal with it and how to move on. And so, um, but during that time, like it was super hard. Like <laughs> I think we, we hated each other during that time. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely hard. There were definitely, she said she was taking it out on me and there were definitely times where, you know, I'd get super defensive and we get mad and probably the conversation that my mom heard about, you know, us being <laughs> a good couple or whatever, I think was happening around this time where she was struggling with that. But I'm sure Amanda's going to get into what comes next. But the thing I'll say is that 
in some ways, it was a really big blessing that this happened <laughs> that year because what comes next, I don't know how we would have handled if Amanda hadn't gotten some help um, at that hospital at that time. And and it helped me. I mean, I I got some help during there too about like just how to stay calm, how not to retaliate or escalate some situations. And obviously neither one of us are perfect in that. But that this first year, this was about two years ago, we're talking about that was definitely the start of some struggles. It got worse from there. <laughs> That's the beginning. So then after there, I was doing pretty well. I was able to manage. I was on some medication, um, which no one should feel bad about either. Like, there's some bad advice out there, but um, you should never feel guilty for getting help and for being on medicine if that's what you need. I think it was your, I think the next big thing was, was it? I think a you got pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. So we um, were trying for a baby and we got pregnant like right away and we we're super excited. <laughs> you guys are so bad. <laughs> What? Are we bad at this? No, I'm just <laughs> laughing at like how inappropriate you're being, and if people can we see need to us. do YouTube videos so people can see how inappropriate you're being. I'm just saying I'm a stud. That's uh, all I'm saying. Okay, no, it was I'm just not editing that out. <laughs> no. Okay, so yeah, we got pregnant right away, like the next month, and um, then about eight weeks into my pregnancy, I had a miscarriage. Which, which was really, really, really hard, um, because it was it was super. So it was really hard. Every miscarriage is hard. Uh, I'm sure for for people and and not to say not to compare like ours is worse or anything like that. But the thing that made this a little unique was one how early it was, and it was really uh, dragged out just over time. It. I, I went in and they told me that there is no heartbeat. The baby was growing and then the heart had stopped and my body hadn't recognized the pre- the miscarriage. And so they told me I could take medicine to like help it along or I could like let it happen naturally or I could go get to the hospital and get a DNC. And we just wanted to try and let it go naturally. But I think I was so stressed out, my body wasn't able to, because it was like two whole weeks later, I was still like waiting and it just got to be too much. So the doctor gave me some medicine to make it happen. It was super, it was super hard. Like it wasn't, it was two weeks of just knowing that I'm going to miscarry at some point. So I was like scared to leave the house, like scared to like, we had to do laundry like downstairs. I was scared to like go downstairs just in case it started because like, I never had a miscarriage, so I didn't know, like, what to expect, if it was just going to, like, start, like, full-blown or gradual. Like, I had no clue. And so, and we were still, Nathan was working, and I was um, watching Kinsley at this point. I had time off of work. My manager was awesome, but I needed to get back to work. And so, I miscarried, officially miscarried, like, two weeks later on a Friday. And then I went back to work on Monday because I just didn't want to, like, think about it. Like, I had been crying for two weeks, and I was like, I just need my normal life back, like, my normal schedule. And then... (laughs) Well, and I think something important, too, to understand on the emotional side there is 
pretty much being a parent is like our favorite thing. Yeah. Like I know everyone loves loves their kids and stuff, but like we're super super excited to have another kid. Yeah. So uh, there's obviously all the emotions going through all that stuff as well. Yeah. So yeah, then like Amanda said, she then goes back to work after about a month, and and this happens. I pass out during surgery. I worked in the operating room, and I was in a laparoscopic case. And apparently, I just like passed out or fainted or something, and during surgery, which is really scary. So, um, the only thing I remember is. <laughs> One of the ladies I worked with yelling my name and telling me to sit down, but like I was in and out. Like I don't, I don't remember much. But I apparently threw up. They brought me to um, pack you in the emergency room and like took my blood pressure. Like I don't remember any of this. Like next time I wake up, I was like hooked up to like fluids, and they had no clue what was going on. And it happened a few more times at work as well. And so. Um, I had to figure out what was wrong because, like, like something obviously something's going on. It wasn't it wasn't related to the miscarriage. Um, it wasn't anything like that. So um, I go to a neurologist and they tell me that I have seizures and I was put on medication for it. Um, I had a, a CAT scan, an MRI, an EEG, like the full workup of like what's going on with her and they found some scar tissue in the back of my brain that they thought was associated with those causing some seizures and they said that sometimes it doesn't show up until you're like early to mid 20s and so I was on seizure medicine after that which really like really really killed me like it was it was draining I had to take naps every day I was so tired and and this medicine you can't just start like at the full dose you need to like build your body up to it so I would be on it for like a month and then they put me on like a higher dose and then a higher dose and a higher dose and like slowly got me to where I needed to be um but every time they up my dose I would feel like I would have to go through the process of like exhaust exhaustion and all that while still caring for Kinsley yeah I think the other thing big thing there too is that that was all over the course of several months because we didn't really know what was going on. And so they were doing all these tests and they're like, you know, could be a tumor, could be this, could be that. And so you're just walking through all that uncertainty. Amanda was trying to go back to school. She mentioned earlier how she's dropped out several times. This is one of those times that she was trying to go back to school, but she's passing out in class. And so she dropped out. Just kind of figure out what's going on with her with her health stuff there. So that continued. And then, so all of that is, is kind of stressful enough. And, you know, a lot of these things are, there's also in the middle of this, like it felt like just whenever you have moderate to severe things going on, it feels like every small thing is, is also just blown up. But kind of the, the next thing is that we're, as this is all happening, we wake up in the middle of the night one oh, night. I, I'm sorry. I also wasn't allowed to drive for a full year. So, like, it was... <laughs> Actually, and that might be the most stressful that was thing. probably the worst. <laughs> no, I mean, it's... Not being able to drive is... It sounds like such a first world problem. But, I mean, having a family, I'm working full time. You know, anything from, like, buying groceries, we all got to go. Any, we 
all the medicine that she's, <laughs> we all got to go, um, or just me. And so everything that like we were able to split up and do, even when we shared a car, he's like, oh, you take the car and all that stuff. And it was either I was driving everywhere. And again, for, it sounds like a little like thing. Like for but, example, like I had class at 8 a.m. and Kinsley couldn't start school until 8. So he would drive me 25 minutes to school. Which is a lot for Rhode Island, where we live. Okay. Small Uh, state. (laughs) Drive back, like, 25 minutes, drop Kinsley off at daycare, and then go right back because he worked at the same school I was going to. So, like, he was in the car for, like, an hour and a half just in the morning and then would have to go do his work and then pick me up, pick Kinsley up. um, He would have to break up, like, his work schedule pretty much midday, pick me up pick Kinsley up, bring us back home, drive back to... So it was just like, it was a lot. Like, it wasn't like we were able to split a car. Like, it was all him. If I needed anything, he had to go get it. He had, like, it was very, it was very stressful. And so obviously I was just so submissive and a great husband through all that. Just like, oh, honey, anything you need, I'd just love to do it. Well, no, it's tiring. (laughs) No, it it definitely was. I mean, it... Yeah, it was hard. And so in the middle of all of that, uh, you have the actual, I think, probably thing that stressed us out the most that one night we wake up to our daughter screaming and she had um, puked or whatever. There's, you know, bodily fluid in her bed and stuff. But the biggest thing was that she wasn't, um, she was just super lethargic. She wasn't kind of waking up. She wasn't responding to us. We were like, poking her, her clapping. Her were like rolling behind her head. Yeah. So we were like, you know, freaking out. So we call her doctor and her doctor was like, oh, snap. You need to call an ambulance. And so we're like, F. So call an ambulance and they rush her to the hospital and we get to the hospital and the doctors for, for the first five to 10 minutes um, that she's in the emergency room. They're freaking out, too. She, they, like, put her in the critical care room. And, like, all of these, like, probably, like, five or six doctors, like, five or six nurses came rushing in. They, like, announced it overhead. And, and they're like, all yelling. They're like, all like, you can tell when doctors are stressed out. They were panicking. As, as the parents, you're like, what the heck and stuff. And so what it turned out is that her blood sugar was really low. She was... Her blood sugar was crashing, I think. She was 10. Yeah. And she's not supposed to go below 60. Yeah. So, it was super, super low. So, fortunately, you know, pump her full of sugar and uh, she she woke right back up. And so, now it's fine. But then the question is, you know, why did her blood sugar go so low? And so, she was already small to begin with. Um, very small. And so, they did... They just started what has been a, about a year of tests, but they, they're doing all these tests. They're, you know, they had a good idea of what they thought it was. Turns out it's not, that wasn't what it was. It, they didn't know. So, which just leads to more tests and all that. And so you have that going on. Your, your daughter, your two, three year old daughter. That happened twice. Well, and yeah, she I mean, went so, to the so she's going through all these tests and then. You know, same thing happened again where we have to take her to the hospital. I just have no idea. And and honestly, we're still living in that because that was about a year ago and still have no idea what's wrong. Uh, 
what's wrong with her and just monitor her blood sugar and all that. She still wakes up low, like, about once a month. And we take her blood sugar at morning and at night to just make sure that she's able to stabilize overnight. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So, it's fun. So, the big thing, I think, in all of that is that it's a bunch of, it was a bunch of just moderate to severe things that were just super, super stressful. And then you have just everyday stuff like, my job, um, Amanda trying to be in school, not in school, all that stuff. And so, yeah, it definitely just, it was, there was a lot of stuff that, that was hard and it felt like there's definitely, um, about a year there where it felt like just as soon as we got over one thing, it was bam, something else. Yeah. And I was just, I like, think we're just trying to survive. Like we weren't really like doing anything besides just damage control for the year yeah just, <laughs> just reacting it. like we yeah just reacting and trying to figure out like okay this is the problem now let's let's figure it out let's let's do this let's make a plan let's execute <laughs> like that was our our life for a year so basically we had one year where we hated each other and then one year we just survived <laughs> like we couldn't and what was your question <laughs> Do we answer it? I think that that last little thing that Amanda said, like, did we answer your question? (laughs) Kind of showed you exactly what I had to deal with with this whole interview. And it was a lot of fun and a pain in the butt to edit because it was mostly like an hour and a half of coughing, laughing, and Amanda banging on the table. And you're probably like, wow, Cindy, you're really doing a good job of being the opposite of just focusing on the positive with that story and I promise that if you listen to the second half where Nathan and Amanda talk about the things that they have learned through this experience and how it's impacted their relationship with each other and their relationship with God so I promise that there's some encouragement in there if you hang in there and listen to the second half and we all learned a lot of lessons like that I need a shock mount if I'm going to do interviews with the microphone on a table. I believe that today's story clearly demonstrated what I always say, that life is messy. And I promise that the second part of the story demonstrates that God is also very good. Hey, did you know Sydney wrote a book? It's called Roman Cola for the Survival Soul. It's a study of the book of Luke written for people who have dealt with trauma in their lives. It's available now on Amazon.com. 